0: listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning, and welcome to episode 58 of Footprints on Our Hearts. And it is a glorious sunny morning as I record this, and I hope it will be when the podcast goes out. Um, Apologies to any non Brits for my random ramblings about the weather. (laughs) It's just something that seems to be kind of built into my DNA or our DNA as British people. We have to talk about the weather because it is so changeable and it has been really cold and horrible and miserable and freezing here recently and that's really affected my mood, how I felt about things and I think my grief a bit as well. I think you know, the weather has such an impact on me that, you know, when it's sunny, things seem a little bit more bearable. And when it's really miserable and grey and cold, um, then they, they just don't. Um, and I think the only, maybe the only exception to that was, um, in the summer 22 years ago when, um, a few months after sky died. And I think at, at that point, I was struggling with anything really lifting my mood at all. But I think in that kind of, perhaps lesser stage of uh, sort of feeling down rather than full-on depression um the weather can really have a huge influence on me and i wonder if it's the same for you either just generally in life or whether you find that the weather outside exacerbates um, or affects your grief in any way and this probably isn't so much an issue for those of you who live in more stable climates <laughs> where you know you can predict very easily what the weather's going to be like from day to day um, Um, Although if that is Scandinavia or somewhere in those northern regions where it's dark for most of the winter, then yeah, I think I would really struggle to live there. Anyway, enough of the weather. (laughs) Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to offer a little bit of an apology to those of you who follow me on Instagram and um, may have noticed or may not have noticed that I've kind of... uh, fallen off the Instagram cliff as it were and I haven't really been on there very much or or at all recently so I, I apologise for that and for not keeping up with it. Um, the truth is I've been feeling pretty overwhelmed by a lot of things um, and specifically I guess trying to juggle work and motherhood and if you've been listening to the podcast or you know me then you know I'm self-employed and I'm an author and I've I've sort of scheduled out a few book launches that have been going on this year and I actually have a book still to write that is supposed to launch later this year and really you just, I know this is obvious, but you just don't really get much time when you have a baby and particularly... I guess babies are all different, aren't they? And if you have a baby who doesn't sleep <laughs> and doesn't nap and you don't really get any time during the day, um, then it's it's difficult to do anything else. And then you also struggle with these, or I struggle with these kind of feelings of guilt for wanting to do anything else when really all I should want to do is to spend time with him, which I do love and he is very adorable um, at the moment. Um, but it's interesting because I was chatting to a friend, another bereaved mum friend a few weeks ago um about this and about the kind of reality of I guess parenting after loss and um I remember she said that when she was pregnant uh she said to her midwife she's like I you know I don't care if he keeps me up all night you know if I don't get any sleep at all as long as he's here and he's safe that's all that matters and of course that on one side, that is all that matters. But on the other side, actually, sleep is really important. And when you're not getting enough of it, everything is that little bit harder to do. And, you know, as much as we, you know, we do love and we really appreciate having our rainbow babies, and they are the most precious and amazing things in the world, but we still need sleep. (laughs) Um, And that is important too. And certainly, um, my adorable little Rowan has not been sleeping very well for past few months I mean he's never slept amazingly but he also hasn't been a terrible sleeper but I honestly can't remember the last time that I got four hours sleep in a row I think it might have been February um and I'm I'm a bit of a doormat when it comes to sleep and I'm really struggling with that um and I guess the other thing I've found is that because I've been trying to juggle all the things including the podcast and work and looking after Rowan Although it hasn't I haven't really let it impact on my time with Rowan, what it has meant is that I have had no time to myself and I have we have had very little family time because we've always been kind of tag teaming. So when my husband's not been working, um or doing his training for his event that he's doing, then he's been looking after Rowan and I've been working. Um and I feel like that's something that perhaps I should have prioritised. More and it's kind of easy to say this with hindsight, isn't it? It's harder when you're actually uh, actually trying in this situation and trying to be all these things. So anyway, over the past few weeks, this is a very long-winded way of me saying why I have been off Instagram. <laughs> but over the past few weeks, you know, I've been trying to prioritise at least a bit of weekend time for us all to spend time as a family and do the things that are important to us Um, and that's meant I haven't had time for other things like posting on Instagram (laughs) so apologies for that I'm not sure Uh, I will be trying to keep up sort of very intermittently but I I apologize if you um, have been looking at my Instagram or haven't heard from me for a while Um, and please don't leave me (laughs) although of course it's always your choice whether you want to follow or unfollow. Anyway, I'm going to slot my sleep deprived ramblings now and get on with this episode. So today I have an interview with Ali Anday about her son, DJ, and all the work she does in the baby loss community um, to support other bereaved parents. So Ali has three sons, all of whom were born premature, and her first son was sadly stillborn in 2016, that was DJ And we talk a bit about um, her pregnancy, the naivety of pregnancy before loss, and how a nurse's wise words actually helped Ali prepare for, you know, the roller coaster and the waves of grief that hit you after you go home from hospital without your baby in your arms. We also then talk about pregnancy after loss and the excitement she experienced um, with her second and third sons. Um, her second son spent a fair bit of time in NICU because he was premature. And her third son, Gavin, was born at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. Um so definitely not an easy pregnancy after loss experience on in either case for her. We talk about the platform she created for uh, other bereaved parents and also how she feels raising black kids in America today. Um, and I think, you know, there might be a few of you listening who can kind of resonate with this. And I guess the feeling that whatever you do, however much you love your kids, whether your baby is alive and born or you're pregnant with them there's only so much you can do and there are certain things that you cannot prepare them for and you cannot certain risks that you cannot do anything about and I think having experienced loss um, and you know sudden baby loss that perhaps those risks and that knowledge is Is even more hard to deal with. So um, I really appreciated Ali for being open and honest with me about that. So I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll let you get into it now. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Ali Andy, whose first son, DJ, was sadly stillborn in 2016. Her second son, Grayson, and her third son, Gavin, were both born prematurely, Gavin at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic last year. So welcome to the podcast, Ali, and thank you so much for joining
1: me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here today with you.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's lovely. Well, let's dive straight into DJ's story, because he's why we're here today. How was your journey to getting pregnant with him? And how did your pregnancy go?
1: Um, It's so funny. I always start with my story with how I met my husband, because we actually met at a internship in the summer. So it was like a 10 week program. And I thought like I would never see him again after we left. (laughs) And so we actually stayed in contact and we ended up um, dating and we always lived long distance. So we always lived in a different state. He lived in Louisiana at the time. He was in school. I was in Florida. And then once we graduated, we both went to different states. So we didn't get um, into the same state until we got married. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. So we dated for almost four years and then we got married. So We waited a little while to have kids just because, you know, we hadn't had that alone time together um, consistently. So when when we got married, of course, everybody's first question is, when are you going to have kids? And we're just like, we'll see. You know, we, we didn't have a timeline per se, but it took us about three years to actually start to think about kids. And then once we started, um, we thought um, we would have to, it would be a long process. The doctor told us that, you know, it could take up to a year for you to get pregnant. And we actually got pregnant like maybe a month after we started trying. So it was very quick. But the pregnancy itself was very uneventful. Everything went well. The only thing I really felt was fatigue at the very beginning in my first trimester but I didn't have any morning sickness, anything like that. It was a really pleasant pregnancy actually.
0: <laughs> and I guess also at that point, you know, this is before you have that shadow of baby loss. So you kind of have that joy and that excitement, exactly. and naivety almost. Like now we look at it from where we are now in hindsight. Um, and I'm actually, I'm, I think it's a really nice thing to be able to have that experience and have that joy, even knowing what what came later yeah
1: so it it does like I can look back um because I'm like an avid journaler so I would always chronicle like what's going on and I can look back at those journal entries and say oh my gosh like the, the woman that had no clue, you know, what's down the road. And it's, it is nice to see like how refreshing and excited I was, you know, and how I would talk to him. It was just a beautiful experience. Kind of took a turn for the worse, but that part of my pregnancy mm. was awesome. And um, did you find out that you were expecting a boy or were you leaving it as a surprise? We did. It was so funny. I'm like, I'm like such a planner. (laughs) So I always want to know what's next. My husband, when we first found out we were pregnant, we're like, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to have a gender reveal. We're going to wait to that to find out. And then at the appointment where they're like, do you want to know? We're like, yeah, we want to (laughs) know. Ended up finding out at that appointment. And then we just did the gender reveal for everybody else to find out. So that was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. So could you talk us through the events then leading up to DJ's death?
1: Absolutely. So um, we went in for our 28 week appointment. So that's the appointment where they see if you have the gestational diabetes. So you're taking that drink, the sugary drink that they give you. And usually that drink takes about an hour to kick in. So while they were waiting for that to kick in, they wanted us to go back and do our ultrasound just to make sure everything was OK. So we went back. i very familiar. The, the tech that did the ultrasound is the one that did it every time. So I was very familiar with her. Um, she just kept saying the baby doesn't have a lot of fluid for a first time mom that. Meant like nothing to me. It didn't re, like register anything was wrong per se. I just was like, oh, maybe you know, there's something I can figure out what to do later. You know, after this appointment is over, to build up the fluid around him. And she just was like, "There's not a lot of fluid. I'm gonna go get the doctor." And she just kind of left abruptly in the middle of scanning. And I was like, "That's very odd." Um, and and I think my mom intuition kicked in there. And my husband always accompanied me in the appointment, so he's like it's okay. Let's just see kind of what she says. We're not going to panic. We're not going to, you know, jump to the furthest conclusion. So we're just kind of waiting in silence. And it was very awkward and tense to me. He should have been 28 weeks. But later on, my husband told me that when he was looking at the screen, he measured when she measured his head, it said 24 weeks. Uh. so we were he didn't think anything of it he's just like oh maybe kind of growing small and once the tech came back she's like I'm gonna clean you up and we're gonna go across the hall so we go across the hall and there's two doctors sitting there waiting and one has a box of tissue so I'm like scanning the room and I'm like this is not good but I didn't know to what extent that it would be and so they sat us down and they're just like we're sorry to inform you that your baby no longer has a heartbeat and from that moment on it's just like you know, like it just sounded like wah 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 wah. you know, um, just trying to process what she said. And thank God my husband was there with me because we're both engineers by trade. I, I got my engineering degree. I don't practice anymore. But he's very analytical. Like, what are the steps? How do we how do we get from point A to point B? And so with that, um, he's like, so what does that mean? Where do we go from here? And I mean, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have thought of any of that because I'm just was still processing like, what did you just say? Um, they did give us a minute, like 10 minutes to process what they were saying. So when they left the room, I like let out the most piercing scream. Everything hit me at once. And so when they came back, we just kind of made plans for what was next. And so they gave us the option of going to be induced that day. So it was a Friday. So they said, you can come in today. We can induce you. Um, They said we can come in sometime that weekend, so between Saturday and Sunday, or that we can just let it kind of take its natural course. And when I went into labor, then they can deliver. But they did not recommend that option because complications can occur if you you know, kind of wait too long. So we ended up deciding to go the next day. Um, And so they kind of called and prepped the hospital for us and just let them know we would be there that morning. And we went home. Um, I don't even recall how I drove home. Like, my husband and I drove in separate cars because he would always come to his appointments from work. So we drove in separate cars. Luckily, we didn't live too far from the doctor's office, but I do not recall how I'm home in that car. Um, Thank God I made it. But when we got home, we just called our parents. Um, My husband put on the Papa Bear hat and called all of our parents for us. Um, and I, I say in my book that I feel like I, we were just dropping hand grenades off and then like they were detonating as we hung up the phone, you know? So it was just a really tough experience. And when we got home, we we hadn't ever heard the term stillbirth before. And so we Googled, what do you call a baby that dies at 28 weeks? And that is where the term stillbirth popped up for me for the first time. So that's how I learned that.
0: That's really interesting, because I, so my daughter, Sky, so she died 26 weeks. And um, I had heard about stillbirth before. And I actually knew not a close friend, but I knew someone from school who'd had a stillborn baby at full term. And I kind of associated stillbirth with being a full term loss. And, you know, miscarriage as being well, that's something that happens in the first three months. And And our hospital were a bit rubbish and didn't really tell us. It was a bit of an oversight they admitted afterwards, but they didn't really, other than telling us to come back in two days to give birth, they didn't actually tell us anything about what happened after that. So I'm not sure what what it's like in the States, but in the UK, um, the sort of cut off line between what is technically a miscarriage and a stillbirth is 24 weeks. And after 24 weeks, that's when sort of legally it's registered as a stillbirth. So you have to go and register... stillbirth you have to have a funeral and and all of these kind of things and i did exactly the same thing pretty much is i went home and googled and i only found that out from google it's crazy
1: isn't it that it is so crazy um i i work um with an organization and they're trying to help providers kind of create some type of resources so that if this does occur that they can have some sort of um, uniformity in how they explain what just happened to you. Because like, you're already in a state of shock, grief is kicking in, and you're like, what? You know, and, and a lot of times this is new for people, um, unless you've had a loss previously, you, you're you in a complete state of shock that this can even happen, you know, to get this far in your pregnancy and lose your baby. Like Nobody plans for that
0: and interestingly sort of after that kind of initial shock I was I think I was sort of very much in your husband's role in terms of doing that okay practical what do we need to do we need to do this business. and I think my husband was just like no idea what's going on and he, he even thought you know we got told to go in on the Monday to give birth and he he thought we'd be home by Monday evening and I was like I, th- I think maybe we should pack an overnight bag just in case and, and you know we had we had tickets to the opera or something for the Tuesday, which I got as a surprise for him because we'd never been before. And he he was still thinking, he said afterwards, he's like, I still thought we'd be going. And I was like, just that.
1: And you really just don't know, like we looked up what babies look like. So we Googled images of stillbirth babies. Once we found out the term, we we Googled that um, because I did have a friend, I had texted some of my friends just to kind of let them know that I was going to be going into the hospital. Um, and so they let, um, one of my close friends told me that her cousin had experienced the stillbirth and she gave me the, the advice of making sure that I saw my son before, you know, we had to say our goodbyes. And so she's like, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but you should see him. It's, it's not going to bring him back or anything, but it will give you a slight piece of closure just to know that you saw who was, you know, cooking inside the oven per se. And, um, that was like one of the best pieces of advice because I was really on the fence about not seeing him because I was like, how, how can I, you know, it, it just sounds so foreign and to be like upfront with death and see it face to face. It feels like that's going to be such a daunting task, but the moment actually was very beautiful, but we're going to the hospital. It just felt like, I don't know if I could do this or not, you know?
0: I mean, it's not something that we get prepared for is it as like children or growing up or anything. And yeah, I mean, I was like, like, I don't know what are you supposed to do when when you have a dead baby? Like what?
1: There's no guidebook. We didn't even know, like, what do they do with the body? Like we had no clue of, you know, what are the next steps or, you know, just simple things. And like you said, with your husband, we thought, okay, we're going in on a Saturday. We'll be, we'll be out by... Saturday night, Sunday the latest, you know, and I didn't have my baby until Monday.
0: Oh gosh! So I guess you were induced, and it took. A I while, was induced,
1: yeah. and it took a it took a while. Like that first day, nothing happened, and we we er, we went into the hospital like eight in the morning, and so nothing happened that full day. But yeah, we we got there, and it was just kind of like, okay, you got to do it, you know, you put on your put on your big girl pants and let's go, um, and. I remember um, I always talk about my hospital stay was like such a godsend because they were just so prepared in this lost space. I felt very incubated by them Um, and they were very, very careful with me. And I really appreciated the, the amount of care that they took. So they brought us in. There were no moms in the waiting room. So I didn't have to see any pregnant um, moms. I didn't hear any babies being born. They put us like in this huge corner suite, I guess you can call it. So I was by myself. Um, They put like a fallen leaf on the door to let doctors know to make sure they're sensitive when they come and talk to you. Um, And our nurses were just phenomenal as far as the care that we received. Um, They were very gentle, very patient, um, and let us kind of know the rundown of what the day would look like they gave us a lot of things to think about Um, and one thing my husband and i discussed is like we're gonna you know do this as a team per se so um we're gonna make sure we discuss all the things that they give us and we'll decide um you know what we want to do together so they said you know you can see him you can hold him you can kind of create a plan of what that looks like for you once he gets here Um, They did say, you know, he could look a little different. He could have some missing skin or some blood here, you know, just they kind of prepared us for what he could look like. There's a range of things that that could look like. And then they also said, you know, you need to figure out if you want to have him cremated or if you want to do a burial. Um, We opted for the cremation just because we were living in the state of Georgia at the time and we knew we were probably going to move eventually. Um, And so we ended up Leaving, But we didn't want to leave him there, his body there. So we were like, we'll do cremation for for that reason. And they work with funeral homes there. So they had a list that they work with and they do either option for free. So free of charge, um, which usually does not happen. Yeah. So that, that was a huge one for us. Cause we were like, what, what do we do? You know? And they're like, just call the funeral home. They'll, they'll let you know from there what they need from you. And it was seamless. Like they came and picked up his body and all of that. So That was very helpful.
0: That's amazing because the same thing happens in the UK, but obviously our healthcare systems are quite different in the UK. So, you know, we don't pay for our healthcare anyway, unless you choose to go private. So um, I'm really glad that even in the States with all the kind of, you know, challenges around healthcare and stuff there, there is some compassion um, in terms of that. Very much so. And did you manage to spend some time with DJ then after he was born?
1: We did. So he was born at 548 um, on Monday mornings, three days later. And when he came, it was just kind of like a stillness in the room, but it was like a peaceful stillness. I can't explain it, but we held him, and our nurse took pictures of us with him. I just like explored every little crevice of his body. And I was just like, oh, you know, first time mom, so proud my husband, he always talked about he was so scared to hold the babies, but like, they're so tiny, you know, but he just, you know, kind of wrapped them up. They just explored him and, and enjoyed that that moment. They did come in and do like fingerprints and measure him like they would um, weighed him all of the things that they would do with a regular um, living baby. And then um, they they gave us the option to have professional photographer come in. So he was able to do that and. I don't recall how much time we spent with him. It felt like a while, but it probably was like over a span of maybe a few hours. And once his body started to kind of turn cold, that's when we were like, I think it's time. Because they were like, you can spend as much time as you need. Just let us know. And that's maybe one thing that I wish I would have done a little bit more of. Just, you know, because the moment is so fleeting and you get one shot. But of course, you don't know what you don't know at the time. And so I felt like it was adequate enough. But of course, I wish I could have spent, you know, a day with him or so.
0: Yeah. And you must have been completely exhausted as well after, you know, going through this like long labor and induction process. Yeah.
1: It's just like you don't think about, you know, essentially when you find out you're pregnant, you're just like, okay, I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to go nine months. We're going to have a healthy baby and we're going to leave the hospital, you know, like all in one swoop. And I just found out it does not work that way all the time, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: And were you given any reason for his death? And was that something that you
1: chose to explore or chose not to explore so they did ask us did we want to do an autopsy we opted in to do one um and they like they did all types of blood work on me him while um his body was still there and there was nothing that they found like when i did my 6 week follow up with my doctor they were like there's literally nothing that we could see that happened and ironically when i was pregnant with my last son i was given a high-risk doctor as well as my primary and he we moved to a different state so we're in California now and he didn't know my history so I kind of was just telling him um he didn't like have any of my paperwork but he was saying that it was probably something with my placenta it probably didn't start off well healthy enough and so he said at because he was measuring smaller he thinks that my placenta stopped growing correctly and that cut off the nutrients to dj and that's probably why it didn't work out
0: yeah and i think you know we had we had the same thing because sky was both restricted as well yeah although they didn't find anything definitive with the placenta i i think that was kind of the logical logical conclusion so what was your experience of grief like over those first few months and did you find that you and your husband grieved
1: differently Absolutely. <laughs> we definitely grieve differently. And I always praise my nurse that I had, one of the nurses I had on the first day. Um, she actually was off that second day. And when she came back on her rounds that third day, she requested to have us again. And so she was like a godsend. I still in contact with her, but she let us know a lot of things to prepare us for grief after we left the hospital. Um, and I don't know if she does this with all patients or she just kind of took a liking to us, but she let us know, you know, grieving is going to be difficult. People probably will avoid you at some point because it's so uncomfortable that people will say very mean things, not on purpose per se, but just because they don't know what to say. So they'll probably stick their foot in their mouth. Then they know. Um, and then she also mentioned how men and women grieve differently. And so to draw close to one another in grief because she's like this can be a make or break in a lot of people's marriage um because grieving just looks very very different and so she packed us with those tools before we left the hospital and I felt very grateful for her for giving us those heads up um because I felt a little bit more I guess you can say prepared if if that makes sense for grief. Um, of course you still have to go through the motions of grief and nobody can really prepare you for that. But as far as my husband and I, he was more of like the supporter of me because I was like unraveling daily. Um, and at the time I was actually in school to get my second bachelor's degree. And he was like, maybe, you know, throughout the day I would be okay because I was so busy. I was like in organizations class but once I got home and everything stopped that's when like everything would just rush back and I can like put myself right back into that doctor's office when they're like there's no more heartbeat um and it was just my mind would replay that scenario and me going into the hospital and then seeing DJ rolled away and then leaving empty-handed like that was the sequence of my mind nightly um for like the first few months and so it was really difficult um my husband He was very much like throw myself into work, stay busy, um, and really like just check on me. I would try to talk to him about it, but he's definitely like a man of very few words. (laughs) And so I was like, if you ever want to talk about it, you know, I don't want to monopolize this space of grief. Like you, you were his dad, so you get a chance to do that too. But he was more concerned about like, am I okay? And trying to make sure that I was getting the help that I needed.
0: Mm, yeah, I think that's that's quite a typical guy thing, um, well, if that's a fast generalization. But my, my husband was was kind of the same with that. And did, did, were there any particular tools or things which helped you through that grieving process?
1: Absolutely. So uh, first, my dad is a pastor. Um, so I relied heavily on that. I did a lot of devotionals, a lot of self-reflection, writing, journaling, prayer time, like just quiet meditation time. But when I found out that I wasn't feeling up to myself because I had never really gone through like a grief in this manner. Um, And I remember my nurse telling me, you know, if you don't feel up to yourself after a while, it's okay to seek help. And I had never been to therapy or anything like that. So I had no like reference of where to even begin to look for a therapist. And so because I was in school, my husband said, well, maybe you should try the counseling service at your school just to see if they can give you some resources to where you may be able to look. And I actually was teamed up with a counselor at school and she actually was tremendously helpful for me in the start of changing my perspective on what grief and healing look like. Um, She kind of gave me that bird's eye view and she gave me a lot of tips and tricks and tools, I guess, that I could use in my grieving journey. So that was humongous for me just to have somebody on the outside that could help.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've gone on to have two, two sons since, DJ. Yes. When did you decide to try and get pregnant again and that you were ready to do that?
1: Um, I don't know if we had like a definitive, we're going to just try, but we said, you know, we do know we still want to be parents to living children. Um, and we were like, if it happens, it happens. And so we, we tried and I think we got pregnant with my second son, maybe six or seven months later. So it was a very short turnaround and... I don't think I put too much stock in it because if I would have thought about it too long, I probably could have talked myself out of trying again.
0: Yeah, and pregnancy after loss is such a physical and mental roller coaster. How was your experience of being pregnant with Grayson? And was there anything you did to help yourself through those long months?
1: Oh, (laughs) the physical part of it is, it really wasn't bad. I mean, again, his pregnancy was pretty uneventful as well. The mental is what, was excruciating. Um, I had such high anxiety, at least the first half of the pregnancy. Um, And I was just like, you know, you just let your mind wander and it goes down that rabbit hole. What if, what if, what if? And so I remember at the beginning, I didn't want to get too connected to him because I was like, what if he doesn't make it and I'm going to be so invested in him. So I remember kind of like taking a step back and just like, okay, there's a baby here, but I don't know if I want to get fully invested, you know? And my mom had suggested a book that um, she was reading and it was called The 4-8 Principle and it was by Tommy Newberry. And he just really discussed like mindset shift and that was huge for me. He said, you cannot have something, but think something differently. And to me, I'm like, if I want to have a healthy baby, even though you can't will yourself to have a baby, like if something goes wrong, it can go wrong. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to have a healthy baby. And that's just that. But at least to give my mind the chance to say, this is a possibility. um, I think that really helped turn that light switch on. It's like, just stick in the moment where you are and you can worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets. So to, like, I'm going to have a healthy baby. I have a healthy baby now. So I'll just focus on that part and we'll get to whatever we face tomorrow, you know? And it was kind of just taking it moment by moment.
0: And I think Grayson was born prematurely, wasn't he? What what sort of went on around that?
1: So um, I remember we were just painting his nursery in the night. Before I went into labor, so we were like, we're going to lay down. I usually slept on the couch because I was 34 weeks at the time, and it was just really hard to get out my bed. So I remember we, we were doing a birthing class, and... She had just talked about what happens like when your water breaks, (laughs) literally the same week. (laughs) I was like, you cannot write this in a story like it it is crazy. And so I went to the restroom and I remember like this gush. And I remember her saying like, it feels like, you know, you're using the restroom, but you're, (laughs) you know, you're actually your water breaking. So I went back to the couch and I'm like, I know, you know, I did not use it on myself. So what's going on? And and I was like, I went into the room and woke my husband up because it was like three in the morning. Like, I think my water just broke. So we like literally just grabbed shoes, no bag, nothing. Cause I hadn't even packed my hospital bag yet. (laughs) And it was literally a week after my baby shower. So I had my baby shower the Saturday before and then my water broke that next Saturday. And it was just like a whirlwind, like, everything happened so fast. Like my husband was like, we'll just go to the hospital just to let them check you and we'll comb. And they were like, no, you're four centimeters dilated. So you're going to get admitted right now. (laughs) You guys will have a baby today. And so my husband and I are like, what is going on? So again, motherhood took me on by surprise. You know, the journey has been crazy. But yeah, he was born. Yeah, He was born at 34 weeks. And because his lungs weren't fully developed, because I think lungs start fully developing at about 35 36 weeks he had a little bit of trouble breathing so I remember I had this birth plan I want to do skin to skin I to, you know to celebrate the golden hour with him I want to start breastfeeding I want to do x y and z none of the things I got to do with DJ and they set him on my chest and then like a few like maybe a minute into that they're like we're going to take him. He's laboring to breathe. We're going to go to the NICU. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot catch a break. So he's in the NICU. They're like, don't fret mom and dad. It's going to be okay. And of course you just panic because you know, the alternative already. So when we first saw him and he had all these tubes and the machines, and it was just a lot to process. Um, and again, I was at the same hospital where I had DJ and they were awesome. Um, usually, you know, you get discharged after, you know, a day or two and they actually let us stay at the hospital. They were like, as long as, you know, the room is free, you can stay here while he's in the NICU. So we stayed there probably four days or so for, he was in the NICU for a week. So I think we stayed the majority of his stay. Um, and I think I went home maybe one day before he got out.
0: Mm. and I mean it must have been wonderful to have him there but also terrifying seeing him in in the NICU and did you find that that stirred up your feelings of grief around DJ Jess because it's even I mean it's not that long after
1: you lost DJ yeah yeah and like again you know you have them and it's like a sigh of relief you finally have them in your arms they're okay and then to see they're not okay it's like oh no and i don't think my grief hit me until i got him home um there was a day he was supposed to come home on a friday and we went to pick him up and his temperature would not get to a number that they were comfortable with sending him home so they had to keep him an extra day and i fell apart in the car i was just like i i just want to bring home a healthy baby and you know, I can't seem to do that. So when we finally got him home, I think all the emotions rushed in because it's just like, he's here, but then DJ's not here. You know, like we, it's the second time around, but it's all the first that you missed the first time. So you, that is very glaring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And did you find that affected your experience of being a mother to Grayson over those sort
1: of first few months? I was really excited about, you know, just having these moments with Grayson, but I was just like, I feel like overly protective. I was like, just mama berry, you know, Um, and it was just like, I don't want to let him out my sight just because I was so nervous but i i did enjoy my time you know as a mom and if we fast forward a bit to your pregnancy with your third son
0: who you gave birth to in april last year really in those early days of the pandemic when it was everything was scary and we didn't know what was going on how was your experience of his pregnancy and did the pandemic heighten your anxiety
1: you know, this actually was probably the easiest of my pregnancies. I know that sounds crazy, but I was given, I had a great doctor. Um, she recommended me to a high-risk doctor. So I felt extra, like an extra bit of insulation having them as a tandem. I would see them probably like two or three times a month, like between the two of them. So I felt very well seen and documented. Um, so I, I did feel okay in that. When the pandemic happened, um, I know a lot of people went to kind of telehealth, but we actually still had in-person visits. I just couldn't bring my husband with me or my my other son or Grayson with me. So I would I felt very like well protected and I, I felt like they were documenting everything. The I did go into labor early again with Gavin. So he was born at 35 weeks. But the only crazy thing was, like, being in a hospital and having to stay in your room. Like, you couldn't walk down the hall. It was kind of like, you're in here, you have to wear your mask, you know, during delivery. So that was more of the awkward, you know, things. Other than that, I thought it went okay for us to be, like, in a global pandemic. <laughs> we we did as best as we could with, you know, what we had.
0: Mm. And were you concerned at all about the risk of the rise, both to you and to your baby and given and i'm trying to think when it became kind of known i guess or thought that particularly um black people were more likely to suffer severe complications from covid and added to that um i mean certainly there's been a lot in the media over here recently around high rates of maternal death of black women um as well so having all of those kind of combined was that something at the back of your mind at all or were you able
1: to block that out absolutely um and it's just like I knew I was like I don't want to be in the hospital longer than I have to like I want to get in and out and so for the fact that Gavin was born early and that he didn't have to spend time in the NICU I was so thankful like we were only in the hospital two days and it was just like I hope he can get in and get out so um and my husband's like a nervous wreck like make sure you wear your gloves (laughs) Put on your mask and make sure you wash your hands like everything, you know, and the nurses were very like, we're going to wash our hands every time we're putting on hand sanitizer, we have on gloves, you know, they were very like, they wanted to assure us that we're doing all that we can to make sure that your baby does not catch COVID or you as well. So they made sure we stayed in our room pretty much the entire time.
0: Yeah, and we, I had my rainbow baby in September, end of September last year. And even then, that, that was still the rule. And we actually got a special dispensation for my husband because I was induced. But we had a special dispensation for my husband to come in for the whole induction because otherwise he would have just come in kind of once I'd gone into labour and I'd have been on my own sort of up to that point. Um, but because of our experience with Sky, they kind of took it easy on us which was good because I would have been I was literally having not quite nightmares but like I was lying awake at night going over all these scenarios in which you know I'd go into labor and Sam wouldn't be able to get there in time and we the baby would die again and you know all of this stuff as you do because you you naturally just catastrophize don't yes. you know, go through all these yeah. things in your head so yeah so I was I was super grateful for
1: that <laughs> in my case it really helped so at that time were you uh, able to have somebody in the room with you or was that yes yeah, so you were allowed to have a one birth partner
0: um but only when you were in active labor for most most women um which obviously if you went into labor sort of naturally and then went into the hospital that was fine because they'd go in with you but if you were going in to be induced and um, because i had some sort of placenta potential placenta issues they wanted to induce us early um and so normally if i hadn't have kind of advocated I guess for myself and kind of pushed for it I would have gone in been on a ward with other women and then um my husband would have been allowed in once I was kind of in in sort of active labor but actually both of my labors from when they classify active labor I guess were relatively short so um wow. yeah so yeah
1: it was a good thing anyway <laughs> that was one thing that I was kind of bummed about because I actually had I met a doula late in my pregnancy and she was gonna like take me on as a client and I was so excited and this was like maybe I met her maybe a week before they like put all these restrictions on the hospitals and so she wasn't able to come with me um in our delivery because you can only have one birthing person with you so that was kind of a bummer because I was excited to have a doula just you know as you mentioned with the heightened um you know, effects of black women and having babies and, you know, their babies passing. It was, I felt a little more assured if I was to have a doula there just as like a second pair of eyes for me. But yeah, that didn't quite happen. So that part I was a little bummed about.
0: And after DJ's death, you've become quite an advocate for baby loss and motherhood after loss. Why did you decide to speak out about your experience and create a platform to help support other bereaved mothers?
1: Um, I never thought it would get this far, <laughs> um, but when I first when I first started to share, it just really was for my grieving process. I it just felt good to talk about him. It made him feel a little bit more real because my husband and I were really the only ones in the room. Um, so it made him feel like something that was real. Because sometimes I'm like, when I would look back, I'm like, did that really happen? Like, it almost feels like a dream. Like, you know, you you go into the hospital, you're pregnant, you have a baby, and you leave with nothing, you know? And so it's like, did that really just happen? So for me talking about it, it just felt more real. Um, And then when I started to get inboxes of people saying that happened to me or that happened to somebody I know, or I didn't know, you know, what this looked like. Thank you for sharing that. And so it just kind of was like, Hmm, I, I see there's like this lane where people are curious um and so i would just continue sharing and i'm always i've always been like a chronicling what life looked like so through journaling or anything like that and so i was just writing one day and i'm like i wish there was something like this for me where I knew what to expect if something crazy like this happened and so I just was like I want to make sure that no parent if they do follow in my footsteps has to do this by themselves and where they're just so lost that they have to go home and google stillbirth. you know I want I want to do my part and make sure that they're at least prepared for what's to come and so that's kind of how I started in this advocacy
0: lane. And- Do you specifically focus on supporting black women or all women affected by loss and who are the top people who kind of come to you and support?
1: When I started it was just like anybody like you know if you're feeling these feelings you're not alone you know and that's kind of how it began and all women of you know all different races have contacted me which sucks you know it's like this is still happening like I hope that, you know, it wouldn't be as many people in my footsteps, but here we are five years later and it's like, I get inboxes like, hey, I just lost my baby yesterday, you know? And it's like, this journey is, it can be so isolating. Um, So I just wanted to be there for whoever needed the support.
0: And you've also written a book about your experience and sort of covering some of that support. Could you tell us a bit more about that and why you decided to write it?
1: absolutely so again i was journaling at the time and so you know i kind of took the the foundation of those journals and just was like hey you know i wonder if i could tell my story and so i always say i wrote the book for three reasons one to help me grieve two to help Bolster like DJ's legacy and like give him a name. Like, I wanted people to know who he was. He mattered to me, and you know, his life is special. And three was to help again parents that were following in my footsteps. And so it was interesting because I wrote the book over a span of time. So when I started the book, it was very early in my grief. Like, I was probably a month in. And by the end of the book, I was pregnant with Grayson. (laughs) So I was like, wow, this is crazy. So I actually in real time can see like when I wrote this chapter, I was heavy in grief, you know, and then by the end, it's like, I almost could look back at those beginning months and see the difference. And
0: did you have to, did you find you had to go back and kind of edit some of that kind of early content because it was kind of so raw?
1: Actually, I had an editor and I didn't know at the time when I picked her, but she had been through a loss and so her feedback was oh, amazing, tremendous mm-hmm. because she was like, There's some parts in your story that have like made some things come up in me and my relationship because I didn't know it was still there. And so to get her feedback as a mom who's experienced that was very helpful for me. Um and she's like, I like the rawness of it because it it like really shows where you were and how you've been able to navigate through grief. And I mean still navigating grief now, you know, 5 years later, but it just looks a lot different from those first, you know, raw moments of those first few months.
0: Yeah, that's amazing to get that feedback. So I'm I'm an author but I I write fiction books and I tend to get beta readers, I call them, so a few readers who will read kind of an initial draft and it's 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 having to do that step away isn't it from this is this is how I see it and this is how you see it to get oh this is someone else's perspective on it and how they read it and can help you then improve it and and sort of build it into something greater than what you could have done on your own
1: it was awesome and I think the one thing that I really found um amazing even even for me I had my husband write a chapter from his perspective and I read when I read his chapter, I was like, I didn't know any of this. where was this insight you know and he's like I was so focused on you that I didn't want to bother you with what I was actually feeling so I even learned something from the book just in his chapter and and I think that has resonated a lot with a lot of couples just to know like there's this is a different perspective Mm,
0: that's so interesting because I actually interviewed my husband for the podcast and we were we were doing this well live recording obviously it's recorded so it could be edited but he was like oh yeah and I don't think I've ever told you this but I was like okay let's have all our open laundry on the
1: the live show cool to see the perspective though like just to just to see it from their eyes because my husband was just like I really wanted to make sure you were okay so I didn't really think about what I needed at the time and that was very insightful to see like how much you know he just wanted to help me you know and so that definitely brought us a lot closer to one another
0: yeah Oh fantastic well we are nearly out of time but I wanted to ask you one final question about parenting after loss and specifically being a black mother in America because I think one thing that's really hard about baby loss is knowing that you can do everything right with your pregnancy you take all the supplements nutrition do everything right and your child can still die and I wondered if there were perhaps similarities between that and raising black children in america particularly at the moment and whether you could speak to that and how losing dj affected how protective you feel about your other two sons
1: well i come from a family with two brothers i have two older brothers and they both have children as well so i before i was even a mom i was an aunt and just to see you know how my nieces and nephews have grown and you know they're older now and I was always so protective, even of them. And so to have my own children and to experience that loss and then to see all the unrest in America surrounded by race. It's just been so interesting to see the lens of how some cannot connect. In the baby loss community, you know what it feels like to have that loss. But then there's not as much empathy once if you have gone to have a child... And they're growing and then at some point there's like a switch that turns them from cute to threatening. And I'm always, I always have that in the back of my mind as a black mom that at some point there's going to be a time I'm going to have to rip this bandaid off of my son's eyes and let them know there's a world out there that really isn't made for you and you're going to have to learn how to navigate that. And it's so heartbreaking to know that I'm going to have to do that, but it's also a tactic to keep them alive unfortunately so it's just it's really hard i've been trying to um disconnect from the news lately just because it's so overwhelming and you can get so down because it just feels like there's not really a solution but i just try to pour as much joy into my sons as i can and let them know they're loved at least in our house in that you know, even if you're faced with these challenges outside, you always have home base to know that you're loved, you're supported, you can, you know, go and do make a life that you love and enjoy. So I hope that I'm, you know, spreading that positivity to my sons.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing DJ's story and your story with us. Would you like to finish by telling
1: people where they can find and connect with you online? Absolutely. So my name on social media is Allie Andy Enterprise. So it's A-L-I-A-N-D-E Enterprise. And you can find me on Instagram. I'm usually there the most. I have a website, www.allieandyenterprise.com. And you can learn a little bit more about my story. You can find my book link there as well as I have merchandise. So yeah, I love, I love to connect with new moms and chat so if you ever want to hit me up in my dm or anything i'd love to chat with you
0: oh fantastic thank
1: you so much it's been great talking to you thank you i'm so excited to have had this conversation with you thank you so much
0: thank you for listening to this episode of footprints on our hearts please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on itunes you can follow me on instagram at footprints on our hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.